0: What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, holy cow. What a day in college football. Man, I thought we'd just be talking about Saban, maybe telling the world that Bryce Young is making an ungodly amount of money with NIL. Maybe we were going to talk about how Kirby was as good in that media day setting as he's ever been. Maybe we talk about Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, making a funny comment here and there. Oh, by the way, um, speaking of SEC coaches, Mark Stoops coming up in a bit. Lost in the shuffle of everything we've talked about throughout the last three days here, and we're talking Wednesday night at the end of day three of SEC Media Days. Leave it to the Big 12 to steal the show? Wow, unbelievable. We're going to have time for all of those things, I promise. But the big news of the day in college football, in college sports, in entertainment probably, arguably, the Houston Chronicle reported that Oklahoma and Texas both reached out to the SEC about joining the league. That is not a fake news headline. That is a real legitimate story. And Brent uh, Zorneman reported that this could happen in the next two weeks potentially, where an agreement could be in place. Now, if you're saying to yourself, hey, I've seen this movie before. They just used this as leverage about a decade ago with the Big 12. They were talking about leaving for the SEC, maybe the Pac-12. The Big 12 got chipped away a bit because Nebraska, Texas A&M, and Mizzou, and all these, these programs left. But, oh, and Colorado, by the way. But then nothing happened really of significance with Texas and Oklahoma because they stayed in the conference. This is real. <laughs> and this is actually happening. Will, when we first came on, we, you, we had that that back and forth of like, wait a minute. So this is a real thing that could happen. And this could be a new reality for college football. Is it still that unbelievable to think about?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, the thing that blows my mind, like it doesn't really shock me that they reached out. Because like, not to be arrogant, but who wouldn't want to be in the SEC? but it's wild to me that it's being considered. Like, it's in the middle of media days that drops, and it's not an obvious no. Like, it's not like a, oh, we're out of here. And I don't know. It's I, I see both sides of it for sure. It's just, it's interesting to me that it's being entertained based on the egos and the salaries and everything we know about the SEC.
0: Well, let's let's discuss the why, because I think that's kind of the thing that gets lost in the shuffle from both sides. Jimbo Fisher had a priceless reaction to being told, and I was one reporter away from being able to ask that exact question somehow Jimbo Fisher got 20 minutes into his availability before he was asked his thoughts on (laughs) I know right before he was even asked his thoughts about Texas and Oklahoma potentially joining the SEC don't you think Jimbo Fisher was going to have some thoughts on that all those reporters who are asking these dumb questions beforehand whatever that's beside the point Jimbo's reaction oh I bet they would and just (laughs) chuckled because he gets it He's seen what it looks like from the outside. He's seen what it looks like from the inside. He had this cautionary, you know, be careful what you wish for if you're going to join this league sort of message that he sent to those programs. But the why. So if you're Texas and Oklahoma, the why is, I think, a a little bit easier to understand when you look at the TV revenue, which is still so significantly better in the SEC compared to the Big 12. There's that aspect of it. The bigger picture thing and the point that I wanted to bring up um, when we started talking about this off air and why there is incentive and why there could be motivation on both sides to do this and to create this super conference of 16 teams. The way of college football scheduling is changing with playoff expansion. It is going to change in the 2020s. I have talked about this before, the beefing up of schedules, there are programs like Florida and Georgia that have loaded up with three or even four power five teams Mm -hmm. on the non-conference slate in the 2020s. Because if there's the assumption that expansion is happening and that you can get into the playoff with maybe three losses or even four losses if you're that good, then hey, you might as well load up on those quality opponents. And you're going to do what you can to try and solidify your resume as much as possible And if you wanna just go to a conference that's gonna have that built in, it's not crazy to do it. And it could give you the benefit of the doubt if you're that team with three or four losses. So from that perspective, if you look at why there could be motivation for Oklahoma and Texas outside of the monetary benefits, that's it right there. And they're going to be potentially in what would be far and away the best conference in college football and if you're greg sankey and this isn't just greg sankey pushing a button to make it happen there's a lot right. more factors that will go into this there's presidents that'll be involved athletic directors the whole deal trust me this is not just a one one man has final say in this <laughs> sort of deal but will you brought up the point why would the sec want to do this the sec's got a pretty good thing going right now sec's won a couple of national championships in consecutive years. SEC has been in every college football playoff national championship since after year one when Alabama was ousted by Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. But if you're the SEC, why would you make things more difficult for yourself? So besides the point that I just brought up about that beefing up of the schedule, you would have such a flex that would be unlike anything for the rest of college football. They wouldn't be able to argue who the best conferences? There is no doubt. Do the breakdown of the divisions with the realignment, and I'm going to get to that in a minute here, and you will quickly see no matter what way you break this down with these divisions, holy crap, you're coming out of a gauntlet. There's Man. no SEC East quite like that. After, after that comment so yesterday, unique.
1: after that comment yesterday from Muller, where he's like, "I don't really want to play LSU anymore." Okay, boom. Here's Oklahoma. <laughs> that, that, right? that, that's gonna be my thing. Is like, all right, if this happens, we gotta we gotta stick Dan mold on Oklahoma to watch that
0: happen. <laughs> so there's motivation there, <laughs> and it makes total sense in my opinion. For someone like Greg Sankey to be motivated to want to make something like that happen, think of the revenue that you would bring into your league with those markets. Oklahoma and Texas, and I know Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M athletic director, came out and said that he wants Texas A&M to be the only SEC school in the state of Texas. I totally get that. And from his standpoint, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to all of a sudden have to start recruiting against Texas in the SEC footprint. That's not ideal. But for the SEC as a whole... If it creates this 16-team Super League that everybody just looks at as like the all-star team and everybody else is just not even close to being on that level, and if the Big 12 is going to break up because, let's be honest, if Texas and Oklahoma bolt, the Big 12, as we know, it, is gone. It's happening. It's getting picked apart, and they're going to be – Kansas is going to be out here looking for a home. Imagine ending up with Kansas. If the Big 12 breaks apart, Kansas is going to go to the Big 10, and the Big 10 is going to sell us that it's all about the basketball. We're going to get that pitch, get ready for that trust me there are things here that are moving that if you're an athletic director right now you feel like you're on your heels and if you're the sec you're just sitting back and you're rolling up your sleeves and you're going man we're in a really good spot compared to where any other conference can be right now and that's what i keep taking away from this will does that does that kind of put make a little bit more sense as we talk about the the dynamics with both sides
1: yes no i i I think that makes a ton of sense and i I like that you mentioned basketball because I think we are getting more into a basketball mentality. And growing up as an SEC football fan, that's something that I'm going to have to get used to because it's coming. You know, it started with the 12-team playoff, um, and you look at you know you in in college basketball, you get to see these big matchups. A lot of the top 10, a lot of the top teams play each other, especially in kind of the early season, right? And then they kind of have the rest of their season to prove who they are. Um, So yeah, yeah, I I think that that's something that's exciting. You talked about the non-conference opponents. That's something that's coming more and more. So. If you want to see more quality football games, I think that's definitely, th- this change would cause that.
0: Okay, I've got three potential realignment options. We love talking realignment with the divisions and all that <laughs> stuff. And it's beyond just get rid of divisions because that's something that I threw out as well. But then I thought about the possible scheduling of that and the conspiracy theories that would come in play. If you had an eight-game conference schedule and it was just totally random and it was a free-for-all, that wouldn't really work out so well because the team that would end up getting like Vandy, Mizzou, Kentucky, Arkansas, uh, you know, th- Mississippi State, like the team that would get six opponents like that and then they would only have like LSU and A&M. As opposed to, you know, that could get skewed in a hurry. So I don't think that's going to happen in a utopic world. It would. The easiest possible solution, if this were to happen, splitting up Oklahoma and Texas, putting Oklahoma in the SEC East, putting Texas in the SEC West. Okay. That way, you don't have to break up the thing that Dan Mullen hates, (laughs) your annual crossover rivalries. You could have Oklahoma and Texas be crossover rivals. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, they could still play each other every year. You wouldn't necessarily have to worry about breaking up that party if there's any sort of political associations with that. That would benefit both parties to still be able to do that. You could still have that game in its traditional sense, just with the SEC collecting the check. Hold on,
1: but we gotta move it so now. That it's in the SEC. We gotta put it in like Shreveport. <laughs> oh we gotta put it in, in in Nashville. It can't. We gotta take it out of the state fair and just put it in the heart of the SEC now.
0: It's all about that TV market. It really is. There's a reason that Arkansas and Texas a and play that game in Dallas. The there's, mm-hmm. there's a reason for that. So if you had that, that would be pretty favorable. And I think that's the solution I like the most because while it doesn't necessarily make sense from a geographical standpoint to put Oklahoma in the SEC East, you think about trying to make the divisions more competitive. Florida and Georgia right now at the top of the SEC East are going to remain that way for a while. This could easily be a 10-year deal in which it feels like every single year the division is decided in Jacksonville. That's all well and good for those two teams. But to break up the rest of it, you kind of need that third team. And that's what takes a division from being, eh, all right, to being considered respected and having to get through that means a little bit more. So you have that. And then Texas at its current state, that's the wild card. Now, if Texas gets back as they would say then all of a sudden you're looking at the west and going oh my god are you kidding me a and m just finally figured some things out lsu if it bounces back this year and they're on the up and up and they just look like 2020 was a one-off and then oh by the way alabama with a coach who doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon then the west becomes that much stronger given texas's resources but that's the easiest like immediate solution if we're talking about 2025 the landscape could look different and that maybe won't be a fair comparison for all we know steve sarkisian will have texas up and running and moving at warp speed by then but will when you just look at those things and you could try and keep everything else in place with the way the sec currently is without upsetting everyone doesn't that seem like the path of least resistance
1: man that actually i'm with that idea that's that's pretty cool because at the end of the day, I mean, Texas is this this university that, like you said, it's kind of like they can't get out of their own way. And there's the boosters element to it, which, like, hopefully we'll talk about that at some point. Because Texas is kind of at fault for what's going on in the Big 12 as well. But, like, I, I just feel Entirely like...
0: Entirely at fault. Right. Entirely like, at fault.
1: I, and just let me do a quick side tangent on that. Because, you know, the, the Longhorn Network, from what I understand, is kind of how we got here,
0: right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. It is. It absolutely is. and Without the Longhorn Network, we're talking about a much different dynamic in the Big 12 and this jealousy that exists in the relationship that they had with Mm A&M is much different without the Longhorn Network, all of those things.
1: So, like, yeah, I mean, and you probably read those articles about um, the eyes of Texas and the boosters over there. That would be Greg Sankey's priority number one for me is to get everybody in line over there and say, look, you guys already set that conference on fire. If you're going to come over here to the SEC, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z to <laughs> prove to us that you're not going to yep. do that over here. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I would be excited, you know, as an SEC West fan uh, for playing Texas every year. I think this... You know, their environment's super cool. Austin's a road trip would be amazing. Um, and then, it yeah, we always fall victim to, uh, at SEC Media Days, who's the third team this year? And that was in, in the East. And that was the Butch Jones thing. You know, every single year, we all kind of think to ourselves, okay, we know it's going to be... You know, we know it's going to be Florida and Georgia in the preseason, at least. Who's this third team? Well, with oklahoma its they're all going to be neck and neck and neck. And with Lincoln Riley, you know, you talked about it could be 25 years. That's a guy that, to me, is made for college football. I hope he stays, especially now that he's figured out the recruiting aspect of it. I mean, their class is looking nasty. And it would be really exciting, you know, to play them every once in a while. <laughs>
0: Exactly. And that's what I think, regardless of whether or not you think Oklahoma is on the level of Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, which it has proven not to be, it still adds a lot of strength to your specific league. So that's why I like that solution probably more than these other two. But I want to throw these other two at you because let's have a little fun with this. This is still technically a hypothetical. Nothing is official yet. Pen to paper hasn't necessarily happened. So let's just throw this out. The the geographical solution. If we truly decide to make this East versus West, and that includes Mizzou, here's what it would look like. Poor Mizzou, man. Poor Mizzou. So I'm just going in alphabetical order here. The West would be Arkansas, LSU, Mizzou, Mississippi State, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Texas. The East, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vandy. Instant reaction upon hearing that is what?
1: Oh man! I mean, that East is. Whoo, whoo, man! That is. Uh, that's tough. Top heavy. Yeah, I. I'm not gonna say it would make the conference more balanced necessarily, but it would ruffle some feathers. I'll put it to you like that.
0: So you would still have Alabama, Florida, and Georgia in the same division, and then if Auburn could ever get back to. Being well, Auburn hasn't consistently been that like contender on a year-to-year basis. Listen, have you can never count years. out Auburn. I'm
1: going to put them in that exactly. same conversation because we saw, you know, in 2017, it's like you guys aren't even that good, and you're just whooping everybody. What's happening here?
0: Exactly, exactly. So part of that would be dependent on, I think, part. A lot of that would really hinge on A&M and Texas. What do what do those programs look like the next five years? Because if those programs are, are going to recruit at that level and they're going to actually have competent coaching, then I would probably look at that and say, yeah, the West is a little bit stronger, even though Alabama's in the East. And usually we would just default as SEC fans and say whatever division Alabama's in is the best division. But that wouldn't necessarily be the case. Go figure that the weaker division could include Alabama and Georgia. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a case for that. But that would be the geographical way, and if the SEC decided, we're just going to draw this line right down here, and we'll do it that way, then you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about upsetting the masses, conspiracy theories, all that. And it's not, I, I would argue that that structure right there has more balance in terms of strength of program where they're currently at, not historically speaking, but where they're currently at compared to the current division alignment in the SEC. I have one more. Okay. This, is, this one might be the most fun. It's the let's get random solution. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. It's where geography is not a thing. We don't care about that. It's just about putting teams that are relatively close in tier of the way they recruit, the way that they perform, and the way that they're coached, trying to find their, their equal and put them on the opposite division line. So, again, this has nothing to do with geography. We should probably do away with the names west and east. Legends and Leaders? Oh, bro! Leaders and Legends? Look at this guy. <laughs> I kid. I kid. Nobody, nobody turned this podcast Y'all off. Y'all of and you <laughs> Yeah, sure. Let's go with it. All right, here's what it would look like. And this is my totally random formula that you'll probably never see, but this is what my brain just came up with to try and come up with something relatively even. See if this makes sense. The West. Alabama. LSU. Florida. Texas. Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, Vandy. You can figure this out if you're going along, if you realize that teams got progressively worse. That was by design. Because I am trying to find the equal to put on the opposite side. The East, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mizzou, MSU, South Carolina. Initial reaction is what?
1: So, I mean, obviously practicality. Is, is you know hard to do but that's kind of the best option like that that would be a every game would be electric kind of situation especially once you get into kind of cross division and playing each other that that would be really cool i i would like that a lot
0: for 2021 it'd be great beyond that yeah you just never know yeah. you just never know these things change so much and that's always the argument against realignment within a conference and i know that's been discussed the big 10 circles as well and i'm still blown away that they haven't found a way to change the power dynamics because it's so unbelievably lopsided in favor of the east (laughs) compared to the west but they still haven't done that yet and the risk of doing that is of course then maybe three years later you're all of a sudden rethinking it and you're like why did we do this when at the time it made perfect sense so that's that's the issue there but maybe there's a solution there if texas and oklahoma are to come to the sec and there are things in place that could potentially prevent this from happening. Uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports reported on the TV issues that could stand in the way from making this a reality until 2025 where the Big 12 owns each team's rights if they were to leave the conference. My biggest question on all this, horns down in the SEC, 15-yard penalty? No No. way. First thing that would have to be taken care of. We cannot have that. We (laughs) need horns down everywhere.
1: That right there is a great example of what I'm talking about, that that conference has been bended over a hundred times for Texas, and they're still not happy. It's like, are you serious, bro? Like, if, if that is, stop losing. Like, how about that?
0: <laughs> Be better, Texas. Right. Be better. Speaking of the state of Texas, Nick Saban goes into the, the Longhorn State and he gave an announcement that was bigger and better than anything he could have said at the Texas high school coaches clinic. He told the world before he even arrived at SEC media days that Bryce young is har- has already made an ungodly amount of money off of NIL and he is nearing seven figures. That's a Jeez. million bucks for a kid who has never started a college game. And not to say that we're down on Bryce young, But that is an unbelievable thing to think about. And Nick Saban says this in the state of Texas, the recruiting-rich state of Texas. And this whole thing has been the topic of conversation for the last uh, day and a half, basically ever since it came out. And you think about the motivation for why Saban will come out and say something like this, because if you've paid attention to any coaches' comments so far at Media Days or just if they've had any availability bef- you know, throughout this these first few weeks of the NIL era, they haven't said, this player's making this much money, this player's making this much money. But when you can flex like that, it's a flex, man. It is some kind of flex to come out and say, my quarterback, who has not started a game, he's not in the heat of a Heisman Trophy race, he is simply the five-star kid who came to Alabama, and now he is already making what is... Considered by some life-changing money. Oh, yeah. And to be able to say that is something that very few programs can touch. And that is the ultimate, I think, validation of the Alabama brand. And we were curious how this was going to look. Nick Saban recruits at this level, and people are sick of hearing about this, but it's true and it's worth repeating. He recruits at this level, which is... Nine number one recruiting classes in the last 11 years. The guy will turn 70 years old this year in the same year in which he signed a number one overall recruiting class. Saban recruits like that because he thinks like that. And he is always evolving and he is always ahead of the curve. What I thought today, and more so thinking about this, having some time to digest just how insane that is for Bryce Young. Imagine being Kirby Smart. Kirby, as I said earlier, crushed media days. I thought Kirby was even better than Shane Beamer. I really did. I thought some of the ways that he addressed some pretty serious issues, COVID vaccination numbers and talking about that, the way that he's approached his team with it, talking about the NIL and how he thinks it's not going to change college sports for the worse and that he's using this as a positive. And, oh, by the way, I'm just out here getting a text from Quavo saying, don't be thirsty. Kirk, who is this? What? Kirby was funny. He was telling the story about getting recognized and, 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 and his kids just busting up laughing. And he had this long opening statement. I was like, Kirby looks ready to roll. And he looks like a guy who is confident and feels good and feels like maybe now is his time to beat Nick Saban. And just maybe he's going to be able to get over the hump that this year. And then Saban steals his thunder. With a message like that, and you know Kirby has been able to sign pretty much any five-star quarterback that he's wanted to at this point, Kirby should have won the day. Saban didn't just win the day. Saban won the week by saying that. That's just an unbelievable thing to come out and say. And Lane Kiffin, if you saw this reaction, it was great. When Lane was told... He, he, when Lane was told about the Bryce Young thing, he didn't know mm-hmm. and probably was a product of him just you know, doing a bunch of media stuff beforehand. When he was told at his press conference, he made this face that was just pure disbelief. You think about Lane. Think about who Lane is on social media. Lane's always got a funny response. He's always witty. He's always got something up his sleeve. He's got that dry sense of humor. He was stunned. He had to like, collect himself to come up with a thought and said something to the effect of, wow, seven figures, that that blows me away. Lane, who was always thinking ahead, always on top of everything nuance in college football, but he couldn't believe that Bryce Young thing. So much that when somebody asked about Jerry and Ely's shoulder surgery, Lane just gave a blank stare and he's like, sorry, I just can't (laughs) stop thinking about (laughs) Bryce Young. It was incredible. That's how much Saban has really made an impact on the college football world. Will, what was your reaction to hearing all that? We got off
1: of our last call, man, and I said, there are two things that are happening right now that Nick Saban, I know, is not crazy about. One of them was the expanded playoff, and the other was the NIL. And this dude has outmaneuvered me again. I'm sick of it, man. (laughs) He comes out there and says, like you said, this is how much weight our brand holds. You don't even have to play a game and we can give you generational wealth to come play quarterback for me. The guy is slide like a fox, man. There's just nothing else you can say. Because yeah, that's a number that's just like, oh, why wouldn't you want to come play for Alabama?
0: We've heard the Arch Manning projection from a certain Darren Ravel. Eight figures is what Darren Ravel thinks that Arch Manning could make as a college freshman. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that Nick Saban definitely has in mind Arch Manning when he talks about being able to get that type of opportunity for his future starting quarterback. You heard Jeff Duncan of The Athletic say in this podcast that he had heard it wasn't a coincidence that Nick Saban got his extension a few weeks before he was supposed to meet with Arch Manning. Mm-hmm. He's got Ty Simpson committed to his class next year, a five-star quarterback out of Tennessee. You know it would be great? If Ty Simpson didn't think to himself, you know, maybe I should go to Tennessee and play for Josh Heupel's offense. Maybe instead I just go to the place where you can make seven figures just by being a five-star quarterback who is going to start eventually at Alabama. There's always the wheels are turning. He's even a step ahead of Kiffin. Now, Kiffin, not to make this all just about Sabin. I thought Kiffin was great. Mm-hmm. And I, he had a rat poison reference, and he gave Sabin his praise, and Kiffin conducts himself in a way that's fun. My gripe with him was his gripe with me. <laughs> <laughs> you were getting roasted, bro. So, tough look for your boy here. Lane looks great. And everybody that saw Lane walk into that room noticed exactly what I did because I've had people that came up to me afterwards and said, I thought the same thing you did. Lane looks excellent. He looks like the guy who was there 12 years previous with Tennessee. He looks significantly younger. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, this is Joe Moorhead 2.0. I followed Joe Moorhead at SEC Media Days two years ago when he walks in and I'm like, is – is that half of you? He had lost 90 pounds doing intermittent fasting and wasn't eating until 6 o'clock. As a first-year head coach in the state of Mississippi, he admitted he indulged a little bit too much in food. So a little context here. Lane tweeted a couple weeks ago. Somebody complimented how he looked in 2021 compared to 2020. And Lane said something to the effect of, you know, I, uh, I indulged less in Mississippi food. So me, trying to just – I like being able to repeat what a coach says because if I just twist it into my own words, it doesn't sound quite as good. So I tried to just repeat what Kiffin had tweeted, and I asked him, you know, what's what's your diet been this summer besides just not indulging as much in Mississippi food? Lane says, that's a strange thing to ask a guy, which – (laughs) whatever, man. Why can't a guy just give another guy a dub? Sometimes we need dubs
1: just a dude dude, dude's rock man
0: yeah just just bros helping bros you know what's wrong so kiffin then says i don't want to say anything negative about mississippi food and i don't want to turn this he's like i don't like the way that you're coming across here talking about mississippi food in in such a negative way i love mississippi food when we went to old miss man we ate well that weekend it was awesome I can't wait to get back to the Magnolia State. I'm so pumped for being able to hopefully take a trip to Starkville and the, maybe in the near future here and get back to the Grove when it's at full capacity and have another pickle martini on the square. I wasn't hating on Mississippi food. Kiffin took it that way. He didn't want to accept it. He did also say, though, that he wasn't going to eat again until his defense started playing better. Um, Man's going to starve. Yeah, man might starve. <laughs>
1: No, no, like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, literally, you reference his own words. Like, that's the thing about coaches, man. Like They know at all moments they can make you look bad because it's like the Greg Popovich thing. It's like that dude can flip a thing upside down at any point. Right? It's just up to him. So I don't. the way you asked it wasn't that weird. You referenced his own thing. Like, I think you're good. And like you said, it's been something he's obviously tried. So all he had to do was accept the dub. All he had to do was be like, yeah, man, I'm down 50 pounds. It feels great. And then you get your little lane quote instead of getting roasted.
0: Yeah, oh, well. What are you going to do? Kiffin and Leach, though, were two people that a lot of people were really looking forward to seeing. And it was great to be able to, to see those two truly in, uh, what, ingrained in SEC culture. That's what, at least what it felt like. Leach, I thought was going to be a little bit better. I thought we were going to get a little bit more random moments from Leach. Good, not great. Still had his funny moments. He talked about the Tennessee job. And I was surprised that he said as much as he did. Um, he was basically asked, when you were at Washington State, did you think you were going to become the next head coach of Tennessee? And he said, quote, I talked to Tennessee, but nothing ever got nailed down. Then pretty soon they had a coup de gras there. <laughs> coup, coup de gras. Not coup de gras. Not that. Coup de Leach made all of us look up that word that some of us knew I wasn't one of them. I had to look up how to spell it, whatever. I still graduated college. He said, you guys can sort, of, can sort that among yourselves. It's pretty well documented. I didn't end up in the middle of the coup, so lucky for me. Pretty honest. Then, naturally, I think about the sliding doors. And yep. I go back to, what if Mike Leach had accepted that job? What if Mike Leach had actually been allowed to accept a job that John Curry apparently did not have the right to give out. (laughs) What if that had happened? Things would be so much different in the SEC. Jeremy Pruitt would have never gotten hired by Tennessee and been like the fourth choice. Would Mike Leach be entering year four at Tennessee? Josh Heupel, still at UCF. Gus Malzahn, maybe still unemployed. A lot of different things that could have happened. Would Tennessee have modernized its offense when it should have? Would they have maybe had, like, a victory against Florida, Georgia, or Alabama in the last three years? Eh, definitely not year one, probably not year two. Maybe last year. Maybe maybe in 2020 it could have happened. But Leach at Tennessee is weird to think about still. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, this could really happen. Leach seems like he's down for this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we find out that the, the powers above John Curry were not going to allow that to happen. But, you know, I, I almost – I did this little debate in my head, too. Where would you rather be right now? Would you rather be at Mississippi State, a program that has had an obvious ceiling throughout the 21st century, or would you rather be at Tennessee, a program that has also had an obvious ceiling more so in the last decade than the entire 21st century as a whole, but Leach feels good about his choice at Mississippi State. Well, if you're Mike Leach and you could go back and take over at Tennessee in 2018, I guess after 2017, would you, or would you rather just stand pat if you're Leach?
1: Man, that's <laughs> it's an interesting comparison. I mean, I feel like if you're a competitor, you got to like the Tennessee job more. Just, you know, history, all the, re- all the reasons that Tennessee's great, rocky top. Um, but yeah, I-, I do think that Mississippi State's a better fit for Leach. Um, we've talked so much about, this is my one fact that you've learned from me. This and the three three five defense is literally... Yes! Oh, my <laughs> bad! Well, I,
0: okay, real quick. I owe Will an apology. I am such a jerk. I corrected Will t- on not this most recent pod, but the pod before that, saying that he said three two five in relation to Zach Garnett's defense at Mississippi State. Will knows the three three five better than I do. He said three three five. I misheard him. Your boy was just in over his head, and I, I defer to Will on all things three three five. That is my fault.
1: Anyway, so that and the the, the Mike Leach coaching tree, which are oddly linked now. Um, But yeah, so we've talked about hypo, you know, played for Leach or played in that offense and yeah they're obviously kind of similar so you'll be able to see you know how that works in the SEC East uh, a you know diet version I hate to say it like that but I think for Leach he's in the right spot man the people in Mississippi are awesome like you said the expectations aren't quite as high he can be himself he's that type of guy that you know I mean Texas Tech was perfect for him Washington State was perfect for him it's it's not necessarily the marquee program but it's like right there to where you can get where you want to get and Tennessee is under a microscope and he's one of those guys that you know he likes to be a little little. bit of an oddball and when you're winning it's good and the people in Mississippi are gonna love him regardless but at Tennessee it's gonna be one of those oh there goes Mike Leach again doing his like Civil War stories and it's like that that's not the great thing about him like he needs to be able to be himself he needs to be able to be part of college football and I don't think Tennessee would have let him you know spread his wings like that
0: I agree with you I think from a culture standpoint it wouldn't have taken much for Leach to fall out of favor there. Mm-hmm. Though I think there obviously would have been that hype and Tennessee fans would have totally been all in. And they would have cared and they would have been so passionate about the air raid. And, you know, they're really passionate now about Heupel's offense. Despite the fact that Heupel doesn't come with, obviously, the same sort of build, build up that, that Leach would have. But Very similar build. I, I do agree. <laughs> Very similar build overall. Josh Heupel upset some UCF fans by uh, saying that he built that program from the ground up.
1: Did he say that, man? Get out of here. Man,
0: I... um, George O'Leary
1: erasure is what I hear.
0: (laughs) Yep, George O'Leary, Scott Frost, one of those two. Probably got a little bit more credit for uh, what Josh Heupel inherited, but Josh Heupel was selling offense, that much we know. I counted, I think it was in... um, in Vilas Jones's press conference, the word offense was said 17 times, and his press conference was not long. <laughs> um, and that's including when reporters bring it up as well. But Tennessee is selling offense, 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 offense all the time. It's mm. nothing but offense, nothing else. A program that's not really selling offense right now, but in that same state, Vandy. So I didn't ask Clark Lee about the name the um about not having the numbers on the jerseys quick clark lee story on tuesday night was coming back to the the hotel with uh after hanging out david busters shout out to the sec for the gift cards ended up being 26 on it instead of 30 dollars yeah don't know why that was weird they gave, Wait, a they game, gave a you they gave you gift cards to
1: david busters
0: it's, yeah, awesome. it's basically connected to the mall. Yeah, it was good. To, it, was, awesome. you know, sick was on. it was good to be able to like catch up and have a couple of beers and not have to, you know, pay for it or anything like that. Um, Wait, who raised David
1: Busters? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, a, there's a, big deal, a there's David Buster's.
0: That's Yeah, it's like connected to the mall, but not really. Mm-hmm. It's in the same, you don't have to leave the parking lot, but you can get there. Anyways, so we're coming back from there and I'm with um, John Neighbors and Chris Gordy. Chris Gordy does the world's best Shaggy imitation. It's not even close. That's Shaggy who came back into the pop culture lexicon, not Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. I want the world to be known, um, the great singer. So anyway, coming back up the elevator in the, in the hotel and, um, you know, looking around and there's like two guys to my right, didn't recognize them. gave of a once over, oh well. Then on Wednesday morning, when Clark Lee walks in for his press conference, I realize I shared an elevator ride with Clark Lee and I didn't even recognize him yet. That's a little bit on me. I need to be better. But that's also kind of on him because Clark Lee looks very much just like a guy. And he's got he's got the head shaved and he does not stand out from a crowd. Clark Lee's not rolling with the same sort of entourage that Nick Saban is, as we know. He was only with like maybe it was his SID or somebody security. I, I don't know who it was. But we did not recognize Clark Lee, none of us, none of us three who have been here all week and dissecting all these different things. But anyway, back to the thing about the about not having the numbers. Vandy's roster has five players, five players with numbers. So this thing that we brought up the other day about what if they don't get all those players with numbers? I don't know, man. I don't know what the rate is on it. I imagine that a lot of those guys are going to get them in fall camp. I hope they do. I hope there's no guys that go into the season without those numbers. That's a tough thing to have to deal with. I asked Davion Davis about this, about just being a defensive player and having to tackle players that you you can't really tell what they're what they're you know if, if this guy's a lineman, if this guy's an eligible receiver, how all that works. And his quote was. Um, he said, I think the O-line and quarterbacks hated it all spring because they couldn't identify anybody. <laughs> we were having fun with it. We were kicking their tails, you think? They were just trying to figure out who's who, but at the end of the day, we knew who everybody was. No number, but you had your last name on the back of the jersey. You knew somebody's face, and it's football, so see ball, get ball. I'm going to agree to disagree a little bit on that. I think you need numbers to play football, but Vane's doing its thing, and that's... That's all well and good. So good for Vandy. I hope more than five guys have numbers by the end of this week. I don't know. Is that even possible? But they're they're getting to that point. Two of the five guys who have numbers were at SEC Media Days. So that's uh, good Good for Vandy.
1: We got to do like the Sarah mcgraw commercial and be like, you know, for five cents, you can give a number to a Vanderbilt football player <laughs> so he can suit up and play for his favorite team. He has no I idea who's Vandy. on his
2: team.
1: <laughs> Please. You know what, man?
0: Last year, Vandy had such a tough time fielding a roster with injuries and COVID issues and contact tracing and all that stuff. Just let Vandy field a team this year, (laughs) all right? Let let them have a full team. They deserve that. But, yeah, that was pretty much my my main takeaways from the first, well, I guess Tuesday and Wednesday, talking about those specific days for um, SEC Media Days here in Hoover. But it's been great, man. It's been great. Been able to talk to a lot of people. Um have an interview coming up with Aaron Murray as well. That's going to be coming up in a bit. A um, couple, couple more that will be in the holster for uh, next week, and I'm hopefully going to be able to get a couple more tomorrow as well. I'm um, trying to think. There is one other thing that I want to get to after the Stoops interview that I'll discuss that's not exactly related to the SEC, but it made national headlines. So why don't we go to the interview with Mark Stoops? great to catch up with the Kentucky head coach. One-on-ones and media days, hard to come by. Fun to be able to just kind of chop it up with him. Did not, however, have any put your money in this bank references for me this time. Didn't want to beat a dead horse too much with that. But Stoops was pretty open and honest and let it fly. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about when he says it. So here is Mark Stoops. You're entering year nine. You're the opposite of what everybody here seems to be. There's eight coaches here entering year one or year two. What's the secret to having long-lasting success in the SEC that has pretty much evaded everyone recently other than Xavier?
2: Well, I think, you know, obviously I think it goes without saying that you better have a strong foundation, of a strong system to help you some, to lean on, you know, the, your principles of, of your program. Um, I mentioned it a little bit today, you know, but for, for nine years, I really concentrate and really think big picture all the time. But that, that world's changing a little bit, you know, with the transfer portal and with, you know, all the, the transition and name, image, and likeness. You know, it's definitely a different time, so you need to try to stay up with it as best you can. And, and, uh, and you know, I felt like we did very good in year one with the portal. Uh, that's just one way to continue to, to kind of keep your head above water and uh, and to continue to try to do the right things It's just staying current.
0: Name, image, and likeness. You've been asked about it probably ad nauseum at this point, mm-hmm. but I've been curious, how are coaches going to manage this during the season? Let's say Chris Rodriguez has a 200-yard game, and he looks on his phone, and he sees 100 or 1,000 cameo requests. How do you manage that, and how is, is that an answer that that's out there right
2: now? Well, it, it, it's hard. I mean, it's new, you know, and I don't think any of us know the answers to all this. And um, you know we're definitely in a learning curve here this year and this is going to be brand new to all of us I don't think any of us have the the, the, the exact answers to this I think if you ask any one of us or any coach here and uh, you know certainly we want to educate and be transparent and help our players any way we can and this is just another way we help our players in so many different avenues of their life this is now another one and it's a big one
0: I asked you the question in the main room about if there was a moment when you realized that you needed to, to change your offense. Mm-hmm. Liam Cohen comes in. I've read the backstory about meeting with him out there and you, you guys just kinda hit it off. Mm-hmm. What's he like and why should Kentucky fans be be ready to embrace this new era of the Kentucky offense?
2: Yeah, I think he's just a great communicator. He's got great energy, great enthusiasm, um, you know, and, and great knowledge, you know. So he, he knows what he's talking about. Players believe in, in his system. He's fun to be around. I think that's important in this day and age. They gotta like what they're doing and they they gotta have buy-in.
0: More importantly, I've been told I look like him a lot. I know I've got the glasses on right now. Do I look like Liam Cohen?
2: You're you're you you are much cleaner. I mean I gotta get Liam Thank to, you. Yeah, I gotta get Liam to clean up his beard a little bit like that. You know what I mean? He's a little shaggy right now. Might have to get on his case to get him to clean it up a little bit like yourself.
0: Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of people who are curious just what all is it going to look like. I and mean, when you don't have the quarterbacks necessarily locked in, it can go in a lot of different directions. But I keep coming back to Wandale and Chris and yeah. two guys that you can really build an offense around. How excited are you for the prospect of being able to let those two guys shine in this way?
2: Well, I think it's, you know, very important, uh, you know, to keep a foundation of being physical and starting with our offensive line and the running game like you're talking about, you know, with, with Chris. Um, I think we're going to be much improved at quarterback no matter who's under center. And we haven't had a guy like Wondell. You know, So he is a difference maker. He's electric. He can make plays. And, and that's going to be fun for us to have him on our team.
0: Wondell told me that besides just coming back to his home state, one of the things that sold him was he sat down with Liam Cohen. He looked down, mm-hmm. looked at the, the film of Cooper Cup, and he said that's what you're going to be able to be in this offense. What's the potential for this guy, and why? Why is it that you know he is coming into a situation like this that that does seem really favorable for him?
2: Well, I think you know that's just it. We were very specific in showing him exactly how we we're going to use him and where we we're going to use him, and um, you know that that's been proven. You know, through through only 15 practices, but through those 15 practices. Uh, the numbers don't lie I think uh, you know Wandell feels more and more confident and comfortable each and every day and it's not hard for Liam to get him the ball
0: you're kind of a unique coach in that in the SEC everybody's gone offensive you know even Jeremy Pruitt's not here anymore Derek Mason's not here anymore is that strange to look around and realize wow I'm just surrounded by all these offensive minded head coaches in the SEC
2: well, they never really looked at it that way, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, I think we all got to find our way to make, a, you know, to make us win and to make our programs, you know, have an opportunity to win at the highest level. I certainly um, know I needed to make some changes and improve in certain areas offensively. Hopefully we're going to do that.
0: I've been asking this question a lot. How would you fix targeting?
2: Uh, you know, I don't I think I feel like we're gaining on it. I feel like we're improving, you know, and – uh and, I, and most importantly, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, defensive players, it's, it's on the forefront of their mind to, to make clean contact. And we want to get injuries out of the game. So I feel like it's, it's, it's improving.
0: You've come here before and talked about disrespect. 2018 was an example. I was talking to Peter Burns about that the other day, of where he just came away thinking, wow, I, I really felt like my team didn't get enough love. Do you do you feel any sort of way this year about that subject? Because I know that's something you're always pretty aware of.
2: Well, I, I think you know the, you could phrase it how you want. I, I wasn't necessarily saying my team didn't get enough love.
0: I I, was, I'll say it for you, you I, weren't. Well, you,
2: you could say it how you want. I was just simply saying I, I don't give I don't excuse my friends, I don't give a shit what, what you say. I know we have a good football team and we're gonna go out there and prove it. And we're going to do it. And I was confident because I knew what our players were doing. I knew what they were capable of, and I knew the way they were working, and I knew their hunger. Um, You know, I I feel similar this year. I'm not sure, uh, you know, we have a lot to prove. We have a lot to get better, but I like where we're at right now.
0: You talked about not wanting to go to the the nine-game conference schedule and that the Mm eight-game was enough. You know, being able to, to see kind of the duration of that last year, what kind of toll did that take on your team specifically?
2: Well, I mean, like I said, take a look around the league. I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, I really don't have the statistics right in front of me, but I know it didn't look pretty. You know, and there were some teams that the, that, that the wheels could easily fall off because that is brutal. It's, it's brutally hard to play 10 during COVID was, uh, it, it, it was not easy. And uh, to play nine year in and year out, for teams like us, it's different. You know, we we have a rival that we like to play. I like yeah. to play Louisville. You know, and Louisville likes to play us. If you don't have that, then that, that's a different story. But I mean, Louisville has been a top 10 team since I played. You know, maybe not every year, but they've had their times when, I mean, hey, go try to play them the other day a couple of years ago when they had Lamar. Oh, yeah. You that's know, a men, and then had ninth game. You know what I mean? So listen, that's just it's just you know it's just it it depends on everybody's circumstance. Everybody's going to position themselves for what's best for their score. Of course. So that, that's it.
0: I'll we'll get you out of here on this one. 12-team playoff. You think back to a year like 2018, you think yeah. how exciting that could have been to be able to continue it there. Do you have any thoughts on just kind of the, the overall prospects of it?
2: I do. I think that'll be good. I think it's going to be you know, more interest for more teams late in the year. I think it'll create interest and it'll give more teams an opportunity. Like you said, a team like us, You know, a few years ago, we would have had that opportunity you know, and so, uh, you know, hopefully that'll
0: spark some interest and they'll give it some consideration. Will, by the time that people are listening to this, it'll be at least the final day in Hoover, Arkansas, Auburn, Mizzou, two SEC head coaches that we've already had on this podcast before, and then three overall people that we've had on this podcast before, if you want to include Grant Morgan as well, Mm -hmm. Bo Nix. Going to be in the house. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to this. How great do you think Bo Nix is going to tell everyone he feels in Mike Bobo's offense?
1: Oh, he's going to feel amazing. And you know what? Someone needs to ask him. It's kind of mean, but someone needs to ask him. Hey, Bryce Young hasn't played yet. He got a million dollars. How how you sitting?
0: <laughs> he's got a sweet tea deal. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to hate him. I'll hate on Bo Nix for some of the, the inconsistencies and some of the things that just frustrate me about his game. I won't hate on him for the NIL stuff. You get yourself a Nashville Sweet Tea deal in the SEC, you're doing something right. Man. Right. Nix's people had that lined up, ready to go. Max. That came out like at midnight, as soon as the NIL era started. Tip of the cap to Bo Nix. He could be doing much worse than that. One other thing that I wanted to bring up. That Deion Sanders story. Oh, brother. Sorry. <laughs> if you didn't see it, Deion Sanders, yeah, that Deion Sanders, Prime. He walked out on media days. In the middle of their their Zoom call, all because a reporter called him Dion. That reporter is Nick Suss, who covers Ole Miss for the Clearing Ledger. I sat next to him all day today. Oh, heard all the story, all the context of it. Actually, tried to get him on the podcast. He's not going public with any of these things yet because he wants the story to die. Because he doesn't want Dion to keep getting more attention for this. Because he kind of has, and he got national attention for doing something that. In my opinion, it was kind of BS, and I I heard some of the backstory with it, and a lot of people looked at this and are like, "Wow, Dion, what an alpha!" And if you haven't seen the clip by now, go look it up and get the the full back and forth. But Dion Sanders should not come away looking like an alpha, and I'll call him Dion if I want to call him Dion because I call head coaches in the SEC by their first name. And despite what Dion said about You would never call Nick Saban Nick. He's actually wrong because Nick Saban was called Nick throughout his press conference at Media Days, and he's been called that repeatedly, and he even came out and said, I don't care what you call me. You don't have to call me coach. So Nick Suss has actually even called Dion by his first name a bunch previously. Hmm. Sent the clips into his boss. So this was not a first-time thing. He said the one thing that he regretted, though, was that he – he kind of, he got a little bit smart with Dion because, like, after Dion pushed back and was like, don't call me Dion. you would never call Saban that. And he's like, all right, Dion." Okay, Dion. He just <laughs> that was the r- best part again. of the
1: video, though. Because you can't, if we're two yeah. grown men, bro, like, I understand the thing about doctor, you know, if you went to school and stuff, but it's like... If we're two grown men doing our jobs here, there's got to be a mutual respect there between the coach and the media. And if you're making me feel like I don't deserve to talk to you and we can't speak on, like, a man-to-man basis, that's just weird. So, like, I respect him being like, okay, Dion, because, like, even though he's an
0: NFL player and everything, like, we're all here for the same reason. You know what I'm saying? I agree. And that's what I come back to. And I got away from this, and I'm not going to give you some whole spiel on... You should never call someone coach. If you want to call someone coach, fine. That's that's not my thing. I like being able to, I I feel more like I'm on somebody else's level when I just call them by their first name. Right. And I'm not building this up in my head or something like that. And then, then I'm overthinking. And I'm like, oh, should I called them coach? No, no, no. Just, I'll just call them by their first name. Who cares? doesn't really matter. So the more egregious thing, though, that Jackson State did was they blackballed a Clarion-Ledger reporter because he wrote about a kid – committed to the program who is on trial for domestic violence they blackball this media member so it's a very eventful week for the clearing ledger and this whole deal maybe those two things are a bit linked I don't necessarily know but it's very messed up and it's a pro- if you're taking Dion's side in this and if you just want to hate on the media because that's your deal and you just think the media is the worst and that's fine whatever that's going to be you I get it Whatever. You don't want to look at the full story. That's totally fine. I've, I'll side with a coach on this. If a, if I feel like a reporter is being ridiculous, irresponsible, there is a certain duty and a certain responsibility that we have to be able to report on news. And if somebody is on trial for domestic violence, I'm not going to get into that whole deal. But like the basic relationship that is expected of a publication and a head football coach, Deion just doesn't really get it. And it's, in my opinion, that's not really debatable because if you're going viral for these moments, that's a sign that you're doing something that probably shouldn't be done. Dion, you're not dunking on anyone. Dion's not listening to this, but <laughs> Dion's not dunking on anyone. And if you're taking a side, I, I don't know. I just think that's a, a bizarre thing. So I, I just want to share a little bit of that context because sitting next to Nick today and hearing, hearing the, the more, more context besides just listening to one single individual clip, you're just like, all right, really? This is messed up. Did people make
1: anyway. a point to call Saban Nick today like an extra like ten percent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <There laughs> I was, love that.
0: There was one person. There was one person who definitely came. I think it was I think it was Bianchi. I think it was oh. Bianchi with the Orlando Sentinel who came out and did that. Well they're probably Cincinnati. homies, right.
1: honestly, okay. like at this point, yeah.
0: I do not know do not know. I d I don't know. I don't know who, who Bianchi's homie is homies with when it comes to coaches besides Spurrier. I don't know if he's homies with Mullen or, or any of those guys. Well, he broke, the, he broke is, that uh, Florida UCF story, though. So
1: he's, he's in the trenches, man.
0: The, Mike Bianchi is a very good reporter in terms of being able to get some of those, those, those news stories. And there have been many a time in which he's reported something on Spurrier, which I'm like, dang, I wish I had that scoop. That was a really good scoop. Just having a little bit of fun here because Bianchi likes to be able to poke the beast, and that's what he likes doing when he comes to these types of press conferences. Final day of these here press conferences on Thursday. I'm going to do something next week that's a little bit different. I think I'm going to go through my SEC, my all SEC ballot for the preseason. and I think we'll, we'll break down some of the, the, the factors that went into that decision-making process. I already had a story up on SaturdayDownSouth.com about how I decided my, um, my running backs and how to break all those down because I've been agonizing about that throughout the offseason. season. So I finally just said, you know what, I'm just going to take four hours, sit down and do this. And that's the amount of time that I spent writing and going into all these different details and these factors that came into this. So uh, be on the lookout for that. The plan is hopefully, maybe I'll do some sort of recap on things that maybe missed, fell through the cracks or something like that. Or maybe even interesting things that happened on Thursday at SEC Media Days. Um, But if you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter. I got a shout out from an SEC... SID, who loves our newsletter, absolutely loves our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Put your email address in, as I always say. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcasts and join the Facebook group if you have not yet. Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Hear your name read on Figure Out. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.